0: And welcome to Aramis Analysis. Uh, today we have a special guest, Mr. Alistair Baird. Uh, thanks for joining us, Alistair.
1: Pleasure to be here, mate. Thank you.
0: And we're going to break down the, um, the statistical comparison between two games. The now infamous 3-0 Swansea defeat that has uh, become the end of the Jonathan Woodgate era, and the uh, less infamous 2-0 win at Stoke City that has become the beginning of the Neil Warnock era. Uh, so, Ali's going to look at the stats. Uh, you've had a lot of success in your coaching career, Ali, just so people get some uh, perspective. You are uh, currently a uh, youth coach in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm um, expected to be joining the staff of an MLS franchise uh, youth academy pretty soon. Expansion team, is that correct? Correct. And... Uh, in America, there is a PDL league, so there's no promotion relegation in America, so the PDL is kind of the conference without promotion, and the best youth and amateur players and some former pros looking for a second chance will uh, will join that league. And I uh, worked with Ali in that league, and a bit of success, didn't you? Eight years, five uh, Northeast Division titles, um, 44 players went on to play for the Pro Leagues. Um, not a bad run, Ali.
1: Yeah, we had a good team, did not we, Stu? Sure?
0: Yeah. Um, also, for the Borough fans out unsuccessfully recruited Jack Harrison uh, <laughs> of School in Massachusetts, who uh, I wonder if he ever became anything as a player. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, what Ali's going to look at here is some of the statistical numbers going into the uh, two games. You know, possession, uh, PPDA, which we'll elaborate on a little bit, chance creation... And there's been two different uh, performances from Middlesbrough, but there's also been two very different results. And I think the point of this is their statistics can sometimes be a bit deceptive. So what we're going to talk about is uh, some statistics that will fit the expected narrative of a, uh, a manager taking over and winning a game as opposed to a team get back 3-0, some that might surprise you, and uh, some of the human context that you always have to put over when you're using statistics because they are not a uh, tool... Or a weapon by themselves, but they're certainly very useful guides and uh, instructional on what happened in the games. So to start off, Ali, um, Swansea game. You know, what are your uh, what are your observations on that game?
1: Well I think a good place to start off Stu would be looking at the the pressing intensity Um, you and I have spoke a lot about the the, almost Woodgate's fascination at times with with pressing football and getting forward and to be fair the numbers sort of bear fruit to that Um, and why scout they use a metric Uh, called PPDA, which is passes per defensive uh, action, which essentially is really breaking down how many times the opposition on average passes the ball before either it's turned over or intercepted or they give the ball away. And in this case, we saw Borough score seven overall, so it was eight in the first half and six in the second half. So again, on average, Swansea would pass the ball eight times or seven point nine times rather before Butler would win the ball. And conversely to that, um, Swansea would press the um and Middlesbrough would play twelve passes until Swansea would turn uh, win the turnover. So, essentially, what this metric is is trying to gauge, to is. How aggressive are they after the ball? Obviously, the amount of passes would suggest to us that if there's fewer of them, they're pressing them harder. But I think in this particular match, again, the, the number itself is, is pretty decent. It shows you that Middlesbrough wanted to get forward, they wanted to go press the ball. But I just think for me, it has to be in correlation with the rest of the game, right? It's okay getting after it, it's alright saying we're pressing. But if the other team's bypassing your press and scoring goals, ultimately, end of the day, you, that's that's all that matters, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that that was certainly. happening. Mean, you know, there was a, There's an intent from Middlesbrough of the press, um, but there is an ease in which Swansea can break that press. You know, there is a there is periods of play where Johnny in seventy-eight yard from his own goal line, getting turned just very, very easy by Agu. There's a play where Columbia almost effortlessly runs in behind friend. There was players where. Housing is marking an advanced Swansea fullback back and Lucas Metcher is coming back to mark you. It's just everything about it is a mismatch. And everything about it suggests that we are playing to Swansea's strengths and emphasising our own weaknesses.
1: I think that's the other piece to this, right? Is, you know, these, these are obviously... It's pure data, right? You know, if this was, say, Swansea only had three passes... Um, and then we'll turn the ball over then that could be Borough pressing great but right? could also be Swansea being poor in possession we know obviously that's not the case in this match because Swansea's a, a decent football team but I think yeah. to lead into that one, now the other stat that, that followed on from this one is the average formation line and just looking at the, the spike for me in this I, I thought it was crazy um, so between minute one and minute 30 right, they, they give you a sort of average as to how high the midline of the, the the team's position is, and pretty much in all, sorry, both halves and in all phases of the game, Burris is higher than Swansea's here. But as we look at the major spike between obviously minute one and minute thirty, when all three goals happened, it's it's almost like what's going on? <laughs> right? Surely yep. at some point you drop those lines and try and packed a bit more and maybe give Swansea more of the ball. Are we, are we seeing some here, Stu, that this is a philosophy that's just completely overtaking reality?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, you know, you got to admire the optimism, but you've also got to live through the consequences of, uh, it not working mm-hmm. and I think it's just definitely a case of Woodgate and the staff deciding that this is how it's going to be mm-hmm. uh, everyone's going to buy into it you know they talked about a golden thread in his press conference when he got the job of you know this was a style of player that was going to go from U12s all the way up to the first team um, and they was a belief that if they just stuck with it long enough or performed it well enough it was going to work mm-hmm. um, which again it's kind of admirable but there is a there's another side to coaching, right? And coaching is maximizing the hand that you dealt, mm-hmm. and taking the players that you have right now, and getting the best performance out of them. And when when you do that, you start to get credibility in your locker room, and you start to be able to um, get you know introduce more ideas and connect with the players and have them buying in with you because they're getting success. But to to be in your first managerial job. To be not getting results uh-huh. and to still bang the drum of this is the way I believe it should be done. Mm-hmm. It's uh, ultimately it's ended up kind of costing them the job in my eyes. Yeah, because this the, you can't convince me that with friend and friend and house and a fullback against Kalulu and AU, this was the way to go to get a result against
1: Swansea. Mm-hmm. For sure, and and again to add, to add another layer on top of that, Stuart, it's it's the duels, you know, the, the sort of fifty-fifty battles, if you like, are just winning your challenges. You know, throughout the first half, there's a significant decrease, right from the first minute to forty-five. It's they go from you know, you know, winning seventy-four percent in the first first fifteen minutes, all the way down to less than fifty. And while again statistically, you know, you could caveat that with. Well, did, again, Swansea play more direct balls? Is there, is there more, you know, less turnovers of the ball because of how they played? We know that's not the case either. So, so yeah. again, in this, it's again, it's great pressing. It's great getting after it. But if you're not winning the ball, then you have to find another way, right? Either you're not pressing right or the people aren't doing the right things. And like we know, the other piece in football, Stuart, it's, it's, uh, it's just letting the game almost tell you what you need to do. You know, like you said, if you've got three forwards, you've got to a, a defend against, It might take you six guys to defend those three players, you've got to figure it out for ten minutes and quell those yeah. attacking movements and then obviously set your line a bit differently, you know?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting drop in the duels one. I think also, you know, what's the coach's responsibility there to take into account is the consequences of losing those duels, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the consequences of a right-back losing his duel is a 60 yard untracked run to the byline that's then you've got to fix your system (laughs) you know it can't be a case of well he should have won his tackle and then he weren't in all defending is about cover and when you're put in a defensive system you should never be in a position where one duel lost means they're in on goal Mm -hmm. it should just mean they're into a cover defender um and it didn't with Middlesbrough. You know, we got full backs losing there and I keep saying full backs, but this game in the first half hour where it was lost, that's that's where it was decided. It was decided out wide Middlesbrough's centre mids weren't running around. Mm-hmm. The wide defenders were. And if you've got issues in terms of your personnel, um, where you were worried about those fullbacks getting beat, then you've simply got to have deep centre backs behind them. You've got to have midfield cover. You've got to have those fullbacks on the halfway line instead of 20, 30 yards in front of it, just trying to press just to press. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got to win your duels, but losing a duel can't uh, can't cost you a goal. Sure. For sure.
1: Do we want to look at uh, possession stats here, Stu before we move on?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was another big part of it, wasn't it? It was... Um, it was... Possession, you know when we got the job and he gives the press conference Possession football, attacking football Was going to be the key, so what were your What would you take on the possession stats?
1: Well, I mean the com- From a completion perspective And overall passing accuracy Again, pretty good uh, Overall possession was obviously better than, than Swansea But again, this is where Really you have to add in the layers of Context, is you know, in this first, let's say, 35-minute period when when the goal's happened, really what is it getting better is is it's not getting them shots right now. It's certainly not getting them territory. It's certainly not buying them more time and and frustrating Swansea. So I think that's really where we have to try and break down this ball possession statistic, which is, again, a valid one in football. But I don't think it's perhaps still what a lot of fans use like you and I used to watch Christ when we were younger and you see that stat on the TV and you think well we're clearly the better team here because we've got a higher position uh, statistic that's as we now know massively not the case right
0: yeah 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 I mean I would go as far as to argue and we're going to go into a bit more depth at stock but sometimes uh, if it's in a certain area teams are going to let you have that stat right and let you get them passes up you know as long as you haven't penetrated them broke their lines hurt them or done everything dangerous
1: i mean it, again to fall on to that exact point you know we, we talked about the progression also sorry the regression of doles the the progression of the percentages in, in borough keeping the ball actually rose throughout the first half it goes from 36 to 80 percent at one point um well,
0: is that a case of
1: and we don't know we're not inside the
0: heads but swans we get three and up and Do they they drop in? Do they just let Middlesbrough
1: have the ball? It would appear so, because again, even through this three-goal period, Borough have all the ball, (laughs) which is which again is uh, it's almost it's almost counterintuitive, but as we know from the game flow and obviously how things happen, and really just how footballers think, right? I think it's almost at, at certain times, by having the ball, I don't want to say their own worst enemy because I think they're better than that, but there certainly were periods where they're either giving the ball up or they're giving up way too much territory, or we're giving up too much territory rather uh, that Swansea were able to counterattack into. Yeah. Um Okay, so let's finish off uh, this one then, just quickly on the expected goals, because I, I think this is a statistic Stu, that we've started to see a bit more coming at the mainstream, and yeah, and just to just to define, be Ali, because obviously a lot
0: of people listen to yes. this are going to know, but not everyone going to know what is XG and how do how does it get calculated? So
1: an expected goal right, is is probably the worst name they could give it <laughs> because. It's not a goal. There will never be anything more important than a goal, right? A goal's you know, everything in football. Uh, and yeah. expect a goal essentially Stu is calculated from the point that an attack takes place, so whether it be a header, a shot, a volley, a back heel, whatever it is, at that specific point that's where it's calculated right now. There's a ton of different metrics out there. You know, there's a lot of the, the big companies have their own way of defining it. Um ultimately it's, it's it's graded on a few things. The distance to the goal, the type of the pattern of play in which the ball's got into that specific area. So, for example, a penalty is going to have a far higher probability of becoming a goal than a, a, a header from the exact same location from a corner, for example. Um, yeah. there, there's then further metrics on top of that as to they then grade it based on did it hit the target or not. But your traditional expected goals is purely based on prior to the ball being kicked, where it was kicked from. Um, so, essentially, what it then does is it gives it a probability rate. and so let's say I had a shot from the edge of the box and it was 11% chance of going in that would be greater to 0.11 and then at the end of the game that's then calculated and added up to give you so for this this case for example Burroughs XG in this game was 1.82 right so essentially they had a 182% chance of scoring a goal and as we know again that's the beauty of football they didn't but that's Mm -hmm that's ultimately how, how this is graded it's, it's to try and give you as a staff and as a coach the opportunity to grade your performance on what is the value of my chance creation um, because in some instances you know, probably the most famous example um, when Germany beat Brazil at the World Cup which I believe Stuart wrong, finished 7-1 was it? 7-1, 7-2. Yes, yes. The XG for that game was like 2.3 I think <laughs> right? so, so it's not like every attack has got a 90% chance of being a goal right so there's obviously inadequacies there but I think as we're working through this this model of grading your attack play I personally like it because it just gives you an understanding of how valuable were our chances because um, you might only have two of them, but if both of are yeah. in a six-yard box, you give yourself half a chance, right? And you said Middlesbrough's was 1.8. 1.82. Um,
0: and Swansea's? It uh, was 2.52. 2.52. So, I mean, in the, in the run of the game, Swansea's had the better, but obviously not 3-0. I mean, my thoughts on XG as a coach are it definitely gives you... A framework of if you're playing well mm-hmm. you know if you've gone ten games and in seven or eight of those games your x G is higher than the other team you have the right to say that you're playing well you know you're doing something right mm-hmm. what it doesn't account for is pressure situations and performance at vital times and human emotional and psychological skills and the ability to make, execute mm-hmm. and I would argue the opposite That if you've gone 10 games and you haven't won any and your XG is higher in every game look beneath yeah. that surface Absolutely. because 10 times in a row is no longer a fluke. Mm-hmm. you know are your players performing when you create those chances or are they bad finishes mm-hmm. if they're bad finishes it's a techni- technical issue trying Fix it as a coach. Are they getting uptight? You know, is at a game nil 0 or one 0 down? Is the pressure getting to players to the point where they can't perform that skill at that exact moment? And you know, their technique is going out the window. In which case, it's a psychological issue. Work on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what Borough have done, because if you look at the XG expected league table, Middlesbrough are nowhere near the bottom three. Yeah. It's interesting, um, but they've not taken enough responsibility. I think there's definitely been a little bit of, um, yeah, we're doing all right and it's going to come good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not ownership. Ownership is, you know what? We're playing well. We're playing well. Our XG's high and we're doing all right. But we've got to get these results. Sure. And we've got to find a way to get these results. Mm-hmm. And we've had a manager who was openly said, the league table's lying. Because it didn't reflect how his team was playing. And it was lying. Right. And then four or five months later, They haven't gone any higher. So I don't think uh, XG sort of gives you a shield to hide behind of, well, you know what, we should have won. We've created enough chances to win. It's more of, yeah, we create enough chances to win, but we didn't win. Mm -hmm. Why not? And I'm not saying I know the answer, but I'm saying that every day of every season, coaches should be finding that answer. Mm -hmm. And there's one too many coaches who are happy to not get the result if they had possession and they dominated the run of the game, or they had a higher xG, or they played the right way, and the other team was part the bus and sat in, and they would you've got to emphasise results. And if you don't emphasise results, you can't complain when you don't get them.
1: Sure. Well, we've thought this season in the league with leads obviously there. There's a lot of teams now that on a week-to-week basis, will almost play in a similar way to Leeds, right? They're on the front foot, they'll be getting after but when they play Leeds, they know if we can defend in certain parts of the field for certain periods of time, it doesn't matter how much of the ball they have, they could have an XG of 50 uh, it doesn't matter because we know if we can prevent the attack from going in, right, which is the you know, most important piece, all we need is two or three chances because they'll give us the space to do it, and, and I think what yeah. you end up doing is is that you've said there is you end up um, if you get too bought into it is this idea that it's almost not fair right there's like, something going against you and yeah. as we know mate That's the that's the worst cancer in football is, is dealing with this idea That there's some higher Force, you know, suppressing your ability To win, when in reality yeah. Yeah, It's just, it's like It's the same where we've got tons of Great passers but our pass possession Percentages are low, we're not passing it well Enough then, it's it's, it's all Cyclical for me mate and I think this is What we're starting to see now is um, And hopefully moving forward For the club that yes these stats are good but as it will always be the case in league football the most important stat is that scoreline you get on a match of the day and a Saturday night yeah agreed
0: so let's move on to the uh, the store game mm-hmm. and the comparison if you will because obviously um, you know another part of this it's not statistical is it's um, emotionally and mentally it's a weird time for players right you know, there'll be some players like Woodgate, there'll be some players relieved he's gone. Uh, it's not a Woodgate thing, it's the same every time the management's changed. Um, and you've got a new manager coming in, trying to form his opinions, build his relationships, run his sessions, get his message across, and he's got about three or four days to do it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a game. So I think purely through that lens, this is a really impressive result. Uh, to come in at a team on a law and to um, get them to play visibly differently and produce a win away from home at a team who was doing really well. Um, you know, I think, I'm guessing here, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they were about 0.4 points per game under Nathan Jones. And then they were about 1.5 under O'Neill since the day he was hired. And I think they'd be eighth in the league table if it started the day O'Neill was hired. So this is a team on a good run of form. Mm-hmm. And you turned them over on their field. So I think just through that lens, it's a good result. But statistically, how's the game look? And more specifically, how does it compare? So the Swansea performance. Sure.
1: Well, I mean the the, the big statistics, right, the sort of game defining ones that you know we'll see a lot out there, obviously possession um was completely different. XG um, continued in the sense that they, they finished lower than their opponent, but not massively lower. Um, so if we look, for example, first of all, the overall possession of the match, Stoke were about seventy percent and Borough were thirty, whereas obviously on the flip side against Swansea, Borough had the best at then with 56 to 44 so on a sort of base level they've had less what would appear to be less of the ball right but where, we, where I think it's important to break this down is that when you look at the amount of times in possession right and this is another piece of statistics for me that I think a lot of people need to look at how long you have the ball and how much of it you have is dictated by Essentially, the amount of times you get it right. So, for example, if you had in this case here against Stoke, right, but had 30% of the ball, well, the amount of times they had the ball in the game was actually only see, 109, whereas against Swansea, but I had the ball 110 times. So, there's not an inordinate um, a different amount of time, times overall that they had it. It's, what they did with it, right? So, for example, against Stoke, the average possession duration was six seconds. So, clearly, more direct, it's in a faster, uh, faster getting the ball forward, maybe into the forward players and transition a bit faster. Whereas under Woodgate, it was double that, it was about 14 seconds, a little bit over. So, yeah, again, that Swansea match, are we saying there, does that tell us, you know, again, until we really break it, then we wouldn't know, but is there. You know, a bit more laborious left and right in possession, is there a bit more back to square, to square, to forward whereas under Warnock well, again, is it going forward faster Th- these are the things for me, Stu, that I think, if we go with the one end of the spectrum being Man City <laughs> right, and the other end of the spectrum being everybody else it doesn't yeah. really matter for me where you fall in between it, it's what you do with it, and I think the major thing here is, is the they had actually more shots on target albeit they had less shots. So what is it? So, so what do we want now, right? That's the sort of question is, do you want more of a ball and less of an outcome? Or more of an outcome, less of the ball? Of course you take the second one, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think what's important about possession, and I I think we're at the point where it's coming soon, Ellie, is I, I, I want to see next to that possession the amount of line breaking passes yeah. or the amount of lines broken. And so for anyone who's not understanding what I'm saying here, Let's say the Borough centre-back is on the ball and he passes sideways to the Borough right-back, and there's 10 stoke players between the ball and the goal. That's an irrelevant pass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And to be quite honest, when we practice pressing with the teams, I coach, we start like that. And you start like that because you want the defensive team to win, so you give them an easy pass to jump on. Mm -hmm. So... You've done nothing with that pass. And most of the time when you make that pass, the right-back's in a worse position when he gets the ball and you were in on it. Now, the same pass could be very different. Let's say that right-back now runs forward 25, 30 yards. And now you complete a pass to the same guy. But by doing that, the Stoke front three's now out the game. Maybe the Stoke attack centre centre mid's now out the game too. And maybe that right-back now receives the ball and there's only six Stoke defenders between the ball and the goal. Now we're getting somewhere. You know, and like beyond that, what if we uh, our centre back completes a pass to Britson Bolonga on the left wing? Mm-hmm. And now there's only the stroke back four between the ball and the goal. Um, and the is one v one with a full back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're three passes. But they're so completely different; it's ridiculous. And to say we had sixty percent possession doesn't really say nothing because how much of that possession was in your own third? break How much of that possession did you complete the pass and not worry the other team, not make, not break a line, not make them turn round? Because another thing about breaking lines is they turn round the next sprint and they try and get behind the ball again, and that accumulates, right? But if you're just making a team move side to side. There's managers out there, you know, and they get criticized for it, whatever, but they and certainly probably said that team getting ready. In fact, I know they do because I know some of them. If they complete the pass and there's nine or ten of us between the ball and the goal, it doesn't count. Right. You don't want to hear it. Don't worry about it. Don't get stressed out. And it takes some real mental strength as a defender because nowadays people get flustered if you don't have the ball. But, like, you should be able to have the other team having 12-second, 15-second possessions And being fine with it if they're not going anywhere. In fact, you should start to take pride in it. They just cannot break it down. Eventually, they will play longer passes, and longer passes are lower percentage passes, and then the lower percentage passes will get picked up, and now it's your ball. Mm -hmm. So, naked possession stats can be very deceptive.
1: Oh, for sure. Especially especially in a league, Stu, where every point is a prisoner, right? At all parts of the league, everyone's fighting for something, right? So ultimately, if you you want to have um, a style, it has to work back from winning a football game. And then how to win a football game works back from what your players are good at. Right, and then what your players are good at works back from how much money you have to then go buy the players <laughs> that you want. Yeah. So it's again that that's where this idea that you know me and you could take over a team tomorrow, any any players in the entirety of the world, and say we are going to play this way. Just uh, it just doesn't check out for me, mate. And I think that's what we've saw here is we've got two managers that, of course. Right, are, are, are polar opposites of their career and different people and different styles and the likes of their football. However, both of them are working with the exact same group of players, right? But I weren't able to bring in 20 new guys between the managers. So yeah. they ha- they both of them have had to figure it out, right? And yes, we've saw a difference in the stats. And again, maybe we could argue, you know, one's at home, one's away, different opponent and whatnot. Ultimately, mate, they're all just trying to win a game of football, aren't they?
0: Yeah. And you know, if you want an example of what personnel can do, um, it wasn't that long ago. And if people really be honest with themselves and you know, like, there was a lot of people questioning Clock two three years ago. Because he put both his fullbacks high and they were letting goals in on the counter and they were getting beat and they were dropping points and he was tactically naive and it wouldn't work in England and this and that. And then the style didn't change. Mm-hmm. Van Dijk right. a keeper. Right. And now, tactically, Liverpool will play recklessly, by some measure, where they will send Robertson forward and then they will send Alexander Arnold forward and they will leave Van Dyke and Gomez or Van Dyke and Math they're 2v2 with opponents and defend that counter-attack. Mm-hmm. Not many coaching badges are going to teach you that's a good idea, <laughs> but you can do that with Virgil van Dijk johnny woodgate or anyone can't do is when you haven't got van dyke common, right. <laughs> like can you like not say okay i'm looking at our game after game after game here i don't think this is working we need to change it up and I'll, I'll be fair to woodgate he did change it up a bit you know he went from back four to back three he rotated some different personnel you know he signed a couple of full backs in boller and dick steel who they didn't quite pan out, but you could see if you wanted to see it you could see the intent behind those signings They were young athletic fullbacks and they didn't pan out which is a shame because whether you talking about a game where they get fired and 3-0 with two full fullbacks over 30 year old who are having matchup issues mm-hmm. um, So that's obviously hurt them and recruitment can be a tough one because hindsight's twenty twenty. Um Did those signings work out? No, but it were, were his intentions with those signings in the right place Yeah, they probably were um, but I, I, didn't like some of the, uh, some of the emphasis going away from results right. after, after defeats.
1: I think to follow up for your Liverpool point as well, mate. This is one of the big things. Is is Klopp at heart as a defensive coach, right? Now, how he defends is different in the phases, right? We've saw in the league, the high press. We've also saw in Europe, um, a game you and I covered not that long ago against Bayern Munich in last year's competition, I think it was. And this was, you know, two rigid blocks of four with pretty much two forwards at times, right? And just being extremely hard to break down. So I think we've lost what it is to defend now, in the sense that the goal is to not let goals in. <laughs> how, yeah, hell, right. how the hell do you achieve that? It's sort of, again, what your players are capable of and what you're willing to put up with. Um, and I think, again, if we, if we look at the comparisons here, yes, there's been a difference in strategy, but the outcome is, is markedly different. Yep. Yeah. So do do you want to look at those stats then from the the Stoke game, the defensive yep. ones? Well, looking then at the the pressing intensity, the PPDA we mentioned earlier. Um, against Swansea, it was like I said, it was down at seven, right? So again, they're really got after a bit more. Against Stoke that number was higher right so the number was 11.6 overall so again stoke had the ball 11 passes on average before Borough were able to put a tackle in. and again i think that's that needs a, a sort of clarification and this wasn't I don't think at any point Boris standing off right this wasn't a okay everybody drop back and just let them have it piece I think there were periods of play where they're showing them into traps or there's there's, you know you and I had spoken about a sort of asymmetrical press at times where they're trying to show the ball perhaps one way I think the interesting piece for this year is that 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 dip in numbers really hasn't had a massive um, difference in the the attacks per minute. I mean, you know, yes, Stoker have a decent amount of attacks compared to Borough, but it's not like, okay, we've sat off now, all of a sudden there's this deluge of uh, of shots on our goal, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, there was another thing that, uh, you know, maybe I'm just a stats doc, but I think needs to be separated out is shots on goal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if that shot comes from 25 or even outside the penalty area, with a defender pressing it, again, does that count? Right. Does it count the same as a through ball and you're in behind the back line and now the keeper's come up with a big serve? So I do think, to be fair to Stoke, they did have some chances. Um, I think the keeper, Stojanovic, has had a very good game, mm-hmm. a much better game than he had against Swansea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think James McLean has caused some problems. Um, I think that they have managed to get on the end of crosses and caused Borough some problems. But I also think that's equally true at the other end. I think um Stoke have had nightmares trying to deal with Aston Fletcher. Right. Um and yeah, just so the, the possess what was the possession in the Swansea game and in the Stoke game for Middlesbrough?
1: Uh possession for Borough against Swansea was fifty-six percent and then against Stoke yeah. it was down at thirty-one.
0: Yeah, so I mean almost double, right? Okay. And, um, but I would argue that at <laughs> Stoke with half the possession, Middlesbrough were two, three times as threatening. Right. In terms of just me watching it with my eye, nothing statistical, just me thinking we're going to score again. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, obviously, some of that emotional is a big difference yeah. between going one hell up and going three 0 down in half an hour. But what, what are the? Uh, what are the attacks per minute in again?
1: the game? The attacks per minute against Stoke um, So for Stoke overall Was 0.47 again So they're weighting that across obviously the 90 minutes So obviously there isn't an attack every minute So they're, they're breaking that down They had, they had 18 overall Um Whereas, uh, Swansea would only have 12, so again, there is obviously, a, 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 like I mentioned earlier, a, a little spike. I just think though, for me, you mentioned that, that piece there, Stuart, about the average shot distance. I thought that was interesting one, but, um, both Borough and Stokes' average shot distance was fourteen meters. Now, granted, Borough have had six attacks, they had eighteen. <laughs> they had eighteen, right? But again, the the the, distant, the average distance is still as far. So you know, again, I can't I can't stress that enough. Here, this isn't like you know, this has been a, a disaster of uh you know overall performance in Borough have snuck a 2-0 I mean I, I think on paper people look at this possession um, and, and you know maybe cast aspersions on this but even to break that down further Stu, that the amount of possessions just look this here the amount of possessions that actually got to Borough's uh, final third was 17% of them so seventeen percent of Stokes attacks going forward in possession got to the uh final third defensive third? That's not a I mean, great deal.
0: <laughs> probably the most valuable stat, isn't it? Right. And to be much more valuable than we had sixty one percent of the ball. You know, and if I'm the Stoke manager, why why eighty three percent of the time could we not even get in the attack in exactly. third? And I know the answer because mm-hmm. I watched it. Mm-hmm. Savile, House and McNair. Fantastic. You know, the front three were pressing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, if you go to the at Erebus analysis Twitter, there's a little uh, little run of the game where Stoker on the ball and the Sombalonga presses from the wing and Savile and McNair are marking man-to-man and uh, Johnny Howson's dropped back and he's in a line between the ball and the Stoke centre-forward Campbell. And, like, where are they going to go? Right. Nowhere. They can go backwards, get them possession stats up, lads, good for you. Or they can try something longer risk, which they do in the clip and they try to put it over the head and burrow in the header and Middlesbrough ball. Um, so I think that um, that's certainly something that didn't seem to be happening under Woodgate where Middlesbrough were tough to break down and hard to play through. Um, What's the uh, the matching stat for Swansea? Do you have at hand? How many of the Swansea attacks made the final third?
1: The uh, let's see here. So Swansea again, I mean, it's fairly decent as well. I mean, in that in that match, um, only thirteen percent of their attacks. It was the it was the next level. Stuart was the possessions reaching the opponent's half. So you know, as we saw, about a number of those counter attacks. Fifty percent of Swansea's possessions got into Burr's half. Um, yeah, which like we said, the. Top Three goals. Burrows in that match returns sixty percent of Burrows' attacks got into Swansea's half. But as we know, where did it where did it then go after that? Right. Interesting. Yeah,
0: interesting. Another thing about that Swansea game is I um I covered that fullback thing to death. Mm-hmm. I did. You know, I had friends and they were like, "Shut up about it," but it cost us a <laughs> sure. game. And it frustrated me because it seemed like we intended for what happened to happen. We just didn't realise that we were going to lose those matchups. Right. Um, but the fullback thing was actually probably could be boiled down to maybe six passes. Mm-hmm. Six times, the Swansea wingers went unchallenged and on goal, which over 90 minutes, it's not a massively high number, right? But if you're going to let someone break your back down line, break your back line down mm-hmm. and charging on your goal unopposed six times you're going to lose <laughs> like and you can do everything else well you can possess well and you can even defend centrally well and you can you know get crosses in the box and you can do this and that but if you're going to be broke down and have people running to the byline or in on your goal unopposed six times you're going to get beat right and we had to do a better job of providing cover and making that once twice
1: so things like that sure. well I, I think following on from that Stuart, going back to the, the XG uh, piece I've got that graph here um, and again folks on, on the Twitter handle we'll, we'll put images of it so you can see it as well but the, the interesting one for me was against Stoke and um, the the XG was was actually higher than than Stokes up until about let's see here pretty much the goal actually right around about what sixty two minutes I think but I scored the second goal. Um yeah. it was at that point the tide turned and Stoke had a couple of you know chances that final third that, that would take them above them. But what what this particular map shows is right, the, the timeline rather it's called is the flow of a game, right? So you take away possession, you strip away how many chances are created. If you just look at the value of what each team has created, if you're in front of another team, that's all that matters, right? It shows that you in front now that don't mean you're going to win that that's not a guarantee but you know you, you'd rather have you know if being your bet on a horse halfway through a race and one's in front of the other we're obviously going to take the one that's in front right and I think that's that's the thing with this yeah this I like about these timelines is it shows you unadulterated data of how good is your team uh, you know dominating the other right now and and again in Boris's case after 60 minutes they were, they were doing great and of course they then continue to do great because they, they, you know, they, didn't, they didn't lose any goals and they wanted to win the game but that's I think there's a context you always have to take away with possession out of possession defensive strategy you know how good you are at preventing the other team that's great but um, but what are you getting at the other end of it and if it is your defensive strategy is, is helping your attacking strategy get your goals brilliant that's the best of both worlds right because they, they have yeah. to complement each other if, if one doesn't, if you just defend and don't attack, that's just as bad as attacking without bloody defending, you know?
0: Correct. Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, when people talk about and analyze football, it's gone too far to attacking, getting praise, and get defending, getting criticism, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and again to follow on just real quick on on this because I think it's important is that we spoke earlier about the average formation line you know, Burr from a winning position their formation actually moves higher than Stoke's Interesting, right? Which again, yes, they have more of the ball. Yes, is it square, square, back to the keeper, long, lose it, but a attack. You know what I mean? That is it. Passing statistics, so Stoke can say, "Well, we we, we played okay today, <laughs> right?" Something that like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, i have been feeling those frustrations. It's maybe, mate. We're maybe seeing a, a a time in football where maybe in the past the sort of default of okay we're losing, let's go 3-5-2 and smash it long at the target man maybe that default nowadays is let's just try and pass away a baller because it will be a nice little story we could tell ourselves on Monday morning when we, when we watch this game back you know yeah you never know I mean there's definitely too much
0: pyrrhic victories added out to teams that lose games if they dominate possession so, yeah, I would like to think that people aren't actively doing that, but maybe when you get so much criticism for quote-unquote parking the bus and maybe when you get so much praise for quote-unquote playing the right way subconsciously, it does start to, to play in. I mean, I, I wonder sometimes what hurt Woodgate was the fear of becoming Tony Pulis. I honestly wonder this because Woodgate was well aware when he took over and he even played up to it, if you ask me, in the summer of the negative sentiment around police's negative football and if you listen to his entire summer of press conferences it is um we're going to press we're going to be exciting we're going to get the fans back in the stadium we're going to play the right way we're going to attack we're going to score goals i think he knew what he was doing there and i think it worked i think whether they admit it now or not the large squads of the fan base were, were bought into that and um we even drew three all at Luton. And I have never seen a draw away, away from home to a team that was in the third division the year prior celebrated mm. like the Luton draw. And it was pushing on, fullbacks going, young fullbacks won a penalty, attacking football like we're here, where we made it. And it was, you know, my counterpoint was we were free to up. Why are we still pushing the fullbacks yeah, forward right. in the last 15 minutes and getting caught on the counter and losing out uh, to an equaliser to a team that was in the third division? Mm-hmm. And would you even use the sentence in the, the game, conference after the game, I want to win, but. Right. No well, one should ever say but after I want to win at the pro football, but it was I want to win, but. If we play like that, fans are going to go home happy. And I think people really thought that. And what was interesting to me was five games in when we had not won yet. And we lost at Blackburn, that really quickly changed to typical championship game, nothing game, win your tackles, win your headers, grand results out. I'm like, well, you've got no right to start going down that road when it was you as the leader who was emphasizing the opposite. And you had a fan base frothing at the mouth over the opposite, over the attacking, over the youth, over the flair, over the press. has he realised in his mind at some point in the season that the way to get results and do better would have been, ironically, to do things how Paulus was doing? That. Right. And had he talked himself into a position where he couldn't? Because he had talked so much about style and so much about the golden thread. And was he, was he handcuffed and trapped? Did he know that high press was no longer the way? Did he know that playing a certain formation might have got us eight, ten more points on the board? And was he trapped emotionally? Um, of not being a hypocrite and not becoming Tony Pulis Junior. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I would like to talk to him yeah, about yeah. that. No, years after the fact, when the emotions gone, because um, I hate that he didn't succeed because he's from Middlesbrough. Yeah, for but exactly. But I'd love to know if that started to go through his head. Like this is not working, bro right. I can't. I can't do this. I can't do the Pulis thing. I can't sit in. I can't defend. And now. Irony, we get Warnock. Mm. Tell me how different Warnock is to pull us, you know, like, Um And we're all excited about Warnock. So really, we're, we're honest about it. It was about results all along. We just pretended it wasn't.
1: Um, so yeah, no, that's, anyway, that's what I- I think another good example mate, is, is, is Brighton just now you know that every, every person who's not a Brighton fan right will tell you how how much better the football is under Graham Potter they have literally the exact same amount of points right now as they did, yeah. and, as they did last year so unless there's some like style points Stuart, you get at the end of the season that mean you have never got before <laughs> I don't know mate if that's a thing in the Premier League now but eh uh,
0: yeah, wasn't it wasn't
1: it wasn't in the previous <laughs> galleries. Not in the angle. <laughs> yeah, usually the, the points you get at the end of every match is all you're gonna get. And they don't yeah. Know it looks like, but yeah, uh, but yeah, interesting one.
0: Alright, so thoughts looking forward here, Ali. You know we've um, we've lost to Swansea, changed the manager, um, went to Stoke. If you're the manager after the Stoke game What's your what's your outlook here? Are you thinking to yourself, three, four days, got ourselves a result, nice one, just do the same thing again? Or are you trying to make the game plan more complex and introduce new ideas as the weeks and the games come? Because uh, there's only seven or eight yeah.
1: games left here. We're right in the are running. For sure. I'll be honest I think the first thing I'd do with every analytical staff member or coaching staff member who produces any reports is any thought about possession statistics or how much of the ball we have needs to be deleted from everything I'd have the players (laughs) fall in love with defending again fall in love and again that don't mean sitting back and letting the other team have it fall in love with winning the ball cheering every tackle cheering every interception so really that's the fuel that sets up the runs it sets up the crosses it sets up the forward motion rather than it be a sterile left and right left and right possession which really if we're honest that's not exciting and it never has been right but yeah. it looks nice because Man City do it well okay but that's not our team uh, our team yeah. is, is set up
0: except Man City don't do well, it you in go. terms exactly. of setting without purpose they exactly. have Raheem Sterling, and they have De Bruyne picking scenes and there's very much an element of breaking lines and uh, and getting in
1: behind every, every ball. Uh, every ball movement they make absolutely thought out, 100. Well, it'd, it'd be silly not and, to think that. But I think and one thing
0: I find ironic is some fans I bet are going to listen to what you're saying there and roll their eyes, right? <laughs> like, oh God, that'd be brilliant to watch. Well, we've had literally the exact opposite of that. Right. And we are the lowest scoring team in the league. So all this banging on about attacking and all this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to score goals. It hasn't worked. And I would go as far as to say an overemphasis on attacking can create anxiety. Because if you say you're going to be attacking, you're going to do this, you're going to bang all these goals in and you scrape out one nil that can actually bring some negative emotion of you know we didn't play that well yeah. today we scored off a corner sure. what you're saying there is more controllable mm-hmm. you know if you was a team, and i found this in my coaching if you can get a team who's excited about defending who's excited about winning tackles winning headers you know like frustrating opponents getting some possession together and they're excited about all those things that team gets excited 40 50 60 times a game um, yeah. as of right now, Middlesbrough have scored 39 goals, so if that's all we're excited about, our team have been excited 39 times a season in 8 months, 39, 39 things we're excited about, and to be honest with you, it's not even 39, because some of those goals have come when we're 1 goal, 2 goal, 3 goals down, so we're not even really that happy then either, so you've got to be careful of not allowing your team to emphasize and celebrate and feel good about relatively mundane things because these things do all build on top of each other. And they do create, generate, generate momentum and create emotion and then ultimately lead to goals. But if you score the other way around, like, we're gonna score loads of goals and you know watch, then you start to get tight when it hasn't mm-hmm. happened. And that Middlesbrough team under Woodgate definitely got tight repeatedly. You know, there's gonna be another podcast soon, but 12 times so far in I think 38 games we've let in a winner or an equaliser in the last 20 minutes. You know, and there's been talk of we've got no players and we've got no money. If you've got no players and you've got no money, the game's not tied or you're not ahead after 70 minutes. Those things don't run out at the 70 minute mark. It's either fitness, which is a long shot at the pro level, or it's a mental approach to the game where the team is not performing when the pressure is at the highest. Mm-hmm. So there's a little preview of a, a future podcast we're going to do. Yeah, sure.
1: no, that's, that's a great point, mate. And like said, if you said, if you don't have each other in football, what do you have? If you're relying yeah. on the best player in the league to be on your team, then what are you going to do if he's not? <laughs> yeah, we are in trouble. <laughs> I,
0: <guess. laughs> I don't know that we have a top 10 player in the league but i do believe this middlesbrough squad and i've believed it all along can get wins and can get results exactly how the squad is right now mm. for sure all right so thanks for coming on Ollie. appreciate sure, me it's been a really pleasure. enjoyed that Thank you. And, uh, you know real interesting to always delve into the numbers but also important to uh, to realise they're not without value but you know football is performed by humans and coached by humans and uh, we're not robots but they're certainly, uh, certainly interesting reflections on how things play out.
1: A pleasure mate, thank you.